Namaste. So we continue with Shurbindo's life through his poems. And we have reached that point where Shurbindo has the vision of Vasudevam Sarvamiti in the Alipur jail. He sees the immanent divine, the indwelling universal all around him. And then we see that uh, Shurbindo's stay, may he is released from the Alipur jail. And within seven, eight, nine months, he is flown to the blue infinities beyond. So there are three questions at least which are associated with this event. One is some people ask that, you know, Shurbindo was there for a very short time in the freedom struggle. And some of us believe that he is the one who actually not only initiated but in in many ways uh, was the one because of whom the fulfillment came. So, uh, so some people believe that how can it be so? Now we have talked about this, spoken about this question elsewhere also that uh, how uh, he had sown the seeds which will eventually lead to freedom. And if he moved, because it was because he had seen the lines along which India will walk and get the freedom. And there was a much greater work that he had to do. And for that very work, Sri Krishna had brought him into the Alipur jail. Because he would not give up, he would not leave. And he had to assure him that, look, that part is already done. But we have another very interesting instance in the Mahabharata. In 18 days, to be precise... Sri Krishna had changed the entire destiny and history and geography of Aryavarth. 18 days. And without raising a finger. I mean, well, the only finger he raised was once again Bhishma. And otherwise he, is, he was the charioteer. So, Shurbindo was like the charioteer. In fact, even now we can say he is the charioteer who takes the, who is driving the chariot of the world car. It was in that state where it was completely in a state of confusion, darkness, doesn't know where to go. So he took the chariot round the narrow gorge, put it back on the track and then he went on to pilot many other things that were necessary. So in 18 days Sri Krishna had changed. Shurabindo within 5 years and if you want to be little more exact 8 years had changed the, had put his stamp and seal with regard to the complete freedom. Because every utterance that he made, Poon Swaraj, all these were not just seed sown, but they were like self-fulfilling prophecies, which is what we see subsequently. Second question is that people have this idea because of the silent mind. Somehow people have a penchant for the silent mind and uh, they start thinking after that, you know, Shurbindo was completely unconcerned about anything or everything. They miss out his heart of love and compassion. Even his departure from Kolkata to Chandanagar to Pondicherry was out of deep love and compassion. And the mother has said two things you must never forget is the mother's love and Shurbindo's compassion. I have often felt that this aspect of Shurbindo, his profound love, has not been brought to the forward. And because we read a biography like this, he withdrew into, you know, after that he went into solitude. So there are a lot of people who want to go into solitude, believing that by going into solitude, they will become like Shurbindo. But when this was told to Shurbindo, asked to Shurbindo by one of the sadhaka, he said, you are more likely to lose whatever little mind you have rather than really evolve. Look at Shurbindo went through the entire struggle and even then, how was he dealing with the manifold relations of life? So I'll just read some of these poems. I'll come to the third issue at the end. Third issue is that, did he still continue to be engaged in the freedom struggle and if so, how? So we'll just first touch upon what was his heart like. We have seen that poem of Shurbindo, Seer Deep Hearted, which we'll talk about a little later. But what, what, how did he feel towards his, you know, 
people who were closely connected with him in life how did he feel towards life towards you know um, all those who were around him shubindu was generally reticent a perfect gentleman so he would not speak much we are often carried away by you know people who express profusely to mean also profusely but very often it's probably the reverse so with shurbindo's case definitely we can see that there is a heart of love and this heart comes forward not just in 1900 or before that in 1909 1910 there are some poems written by him which are a testimony to the fact that what kind of love he carried in in his heart so i'll just read um, some of them one of them just few lines passages one is the poem he wrote as an obituary to his uh, grandfather raj narayan bose and we know that he had a great uh, uh, influence on shurbindo as a child his name was also because of rishi raj narayan bose he was regarded as a rishi and if anybody in, in his uh, near and dear ones family life came close to being close to shurbindo it was rajnarayan bose and every holidays he would go there he was in devgarh and shurbindo would carry trunk of books very fond of him both ways and uh, this is a poem transit non perit it's not perishing it's a transition which is taking place and he writes this is 1909 this is important to understand my grandfather raj narayan bose this is how he has put in brackets to make sure that you know it's not a general thing he is speaking same we see in 1918 when milani devi leaves her body and what does shurbindo say he says there is a tear drop in his eyes and he says that whatever milani wanted to do with her things you please go by that when his father in law asked that you know because it's custom property and all these things he said go by whatever mrilali wished but one thing i want i need now one who is above all needs how can he need anything what does he want ashram is not yet formed there is a great financial difficulties the war is going on so he said just send me a few books especially if there is one with a signature on it i don't have one with me this is the heart of love that a seer embodies it's not like how does it matter i am beyond all this people who say i am beyond all this are very much in it take it for granted with money and everything they are wanting to stockpile but the one who is really beyond it can be in it with all compassion and love and yet be beyond it so these are the lines he died in september 1899 but shurbindo is writing this obituary in 1909 not in annihilation lost nor given to darkness art thou fled from us and light o strong and sentient spirit no mere heaven of ancient joys no silence eremite received thee but the omnipresent thought of which thou wast a part in earthly hour took back its gift into that splendor caught thou hast not lost thy special brightness power remains with thee and the old genial force unseen for blinding light not darkly lurks as when a sacred river in its course dives into ocean there its strength abides not less because with vastness wed and works unnoticed in the grandeur of the tides so he is merger with the ocean and then you know he continues to remain as an individuality see this poem why he wrote after 10 years nearly people may wonder that is there an error or something no it's very much understandable in 1899 shubindo would feel very intimately but definitely in 1909 when he was so open to all the supra physical experiences he must have somewhere experienced his grandfather and written a obituary at that point of time because what he writes is literally the experience described in vishishtadvaita that there is the soul with its individuality 
which enters the ocean but doesn't dissolve itself into it. It gains strength. It becomes one with the ocean power and prepares to return to life. So this is the poem. And there is another one, very sweet. This is also 909. And this is a poem of somebody's birthday. Probably a child. I do not know. It is written to R on her birthday. So what does he write? Shurabindu is not giving her, you know, uh, like normally we would, all kinds of gyan. Look how she writes. The, he is giving the core of all jnana. And that is to rely and trust on the divine no matter what. And fulfill the destiny for which we are here upon earth. The repetition of thy gracious years brings back once more thy natal morn. Upon the crest of youth thy life appears, a wave upborne. And then he says, what our life must be. Amid the hundreds thronging oceans floor, a wave upon the crowded sea, with regular rhythm pushing towards the shore, our life must be. The power that moves it is the ocean's force. This is what we must remember. You know, sometime back, this is what, this is what we were saying. People who nurture such ideas that I am unfit for yoga, I am no good. It's an acutely egoistic state. People don't realize. They think they are being very realistic or very humble. It's not humility. It is absolutely tamasic state of egoism where you think it is you who are doing the yoga. Anybody who has received the touch of the divine knows that you cannot move an inch on this path without the divine mother supporting, helping, initiating, protecting, guiding, leading, caring. And then you know that it's not by your own efforts that you do the yoga. Yes, we open. We make that effort to open. We must make that effort. But the journey is because of the ocean's force. How beautifully, you know, the waves may look like as if on their own they are traveling. But the entire ocean is behind it. The power that moves it is the ocean's force, invincible, eternal, free. The mother has not yet, you know, physically come. But he says that it is invincible. Who can prevent? In one of the places he says that it is more certain than 2 plus 2 equals to 4. That a man who turns to the divine will reach him. It's more certain than 2 plus 2 equals to 4. This just cannot be doubted. So you can imagine the power packed. Why? Because, very simple, when a person seeks the divine, this is the old game. Divine plays many games. One of the games is this. You seek him when he has decided that now I am going to reveal myself to him. So, for the joy of the journey to prepare us, he puts the seeking in the heart. Everything that we aspire for, Mother has said this, everything that we aspire for has actually already been granted. It's actually going on in reverse. The future uh, pushes the present. Up till now, always we have read in all the karmic theories, the past, past, past. And frankly, I have never understood this. That if past determines your present, then very few will have hope. Because the past starts from a brutal, barbaric, all of us have gone through that. Not this life, but million lives. The monkey would have never graduated into man. I don't know whether he is really evolved, what he must be thinking. Mythically, whether I did the right thing or not. But it's not about him. It's the evolutionary impulsion which has pushed the monkey into man. And the same impulsion is, you know, carrying man forward toward the superhuman heights. There is no choice, I mean, about it. So, inevitably, that power leads us. We too, by the eternal might, are led. Where are we being led? To whatsoever goal he wills. He decides. Let him choose. Just allow him to lead. It may not... Uh, seem pleasant to our sight because we don't see the goal. We are, we are just seeing a little portion of the journey. Our helmy, our helmy grasps, our generous sail outspread, his strong breath fills. And then rejoice and fear not for the waves that swell. The journey, any journey of life, 
We all want that it should be nishkantak without any difficulty, challenges, which means we should not evolve. Basically, we are saying that. Because if we don't meet with challenges, how do we evolve? Right from the moment of conception, every phase of child is a step marked with challenges. You know, right within the womb, if you just see the challenges that a baby goes through, Right from cord around the neck to breech presentation. All these things can go. And when the child is born, it's the most dangerous moment ever in the you know history of the child's career. Not only passing through a narrow passage, all is filled with all this mucus and all. It's filled with water, literally. The child is drowned inside water. Water is filled in the lungs, in the nostrils and all. He's not coming, he's not in the air space, he's in a water sack. And then you see the marvel of nature that, you know, comes, breathes and everything is wonderful. There is celebration. And right from that moment, life is full of challenges. But that's the way evolution works out. No challenge. A child who doesn't take the challenge of life in the womb is a stillborn child. So that's what we must remember. So it says, rejoice and fear not for the waves that swell, the storms that thunder. Winds that sweep. Always our captain holds the rudder well. He does not sleep. What a beautiful thing. Every night some people you know, feel insomniac, worry, tension. He's watching over us. He does not sleep. Somebody is out there who does not sleep. If in the trough of the enormous sea thou canst not find the sky for spray, fear never. For our sun is there with thee by night and day. There would be moments when we can't see. This is Shurabindu's state. As soon as he comes out of the Alipur jail, all these are written during that period, 1909-1910. That, well, it doesn't matter. He is watching over us. Even those who sink in the victorious flood, that also he is ready. Where do they sink into his breast? He who to some gives victory, joy and good. To some gives rest. Now you see the sensitivity of Shubindo. This is called divine sensitivity. He writes it and the poem almost seems like coming to a stop. It's a very impersonal truth he has revealed. But if a thought comes to somebody who reads, oh we can think also. Now human mind doesn't understand this. So look now, the poem takes a very personal form. Up till now are impersonal truths. But thou, look for the look to the radiant days that wait. Beyond the driving rain and storm, I have seen the vision of a happier fate brightening thy form. So we see here intensely impersonal and deeply personal Shurabindo. This is what people who read the life divine, there is a kind of people who like to read, you know, books which are very impersonal. There you see the impersonal writings. Triple transformation, how this happens, everything, rebirth, order of the worlds, everything. And of course, uh, supermind, the overmind maya, some people like to approach impersonally for some reason. Partly maybe the, uh, you know, the pride of the intellect. It prefers a very impersonal thing to take that knowledge and then walk the path yourself. But when you see the same Shurabindo writing letters on yoga, same thing, same questions, there is such a deep personal connect even when he is describing impersonal truths. Confident of his grace, expect his will, let him lead, though hidden be the bone. We can't see many times what's coming to us. See him in all that happens, that fulfill for which thou wert born. Not even, you know, I will do this, I'll achieve this, I want to become this. The divine will should be fulfilled in us. How, which way? Let the divine decide. And there is a very beautiful, normally you know, people who, this is an illusion or an idea of spiritual life that you are cut off from everybody, everything. If you, you know, but some of these, all, almost all these beings who have reached that 
height they feel such an intimate um you know they are much more most comfortable with children because that mind with all its things are not there this this you read the life of buddha you read the life of uh, shri ramakrishna you read the life of jiddu krishnamurti such you know but with children they are full of uh, same thing with children that the mother and the mother she would say i can spend hours with children but with grown up adults then she says oh with children that's the joy you know that they they are so open and one place he says they are open like sponges people sometimes don't understand you know why small children are not allowed in the ashram so uh, people have take it that below 4 years not allowed means it's a disqualification on the contrary it means that adults who are allowed to enter are disqualified <laughs> because they will receive nothing but children will receive so much <laughs> they cannot may not assimilate but later on the mother had corrected this she had said well now i have seen that the divine love regulates the dosage so earlier she would say but she said it doesn't matter it's a different thing that we are still following that old practice she herself has said it there for you can read it in the agenda she said she says that it's okay the divine love meters out measures out the dosage which should be given because it's not just divine love it's also divine knowledge wisdom within it so how was he seeing a child so uh, what would have gone through his let's say mind when he saw a child and this again 1909 1910 so people have this idea of after the alipur jail because he was seeing krishna everywhere and he was always absorbed in meditation whenever you see you know some of these images uh shubhendra is sitting like this eyes rolled up yes it is true of a period of time but shubhendra's heart we have to see what a tremendous heart he brings when he would gaze look at a child when he would look at even the you know i have so many stories we have shared but this is the poem a child's imagination o thou golden image miniature of bliss we use a word nowadays bundle of joy which is too crude i feel not a bundle he is saying miniature of bliss speaking sweetly speaking meetly every word hold your breath every word deserves a kiss can you imagine the yog yogeshwara conducting the revolutions of the world he just stepped out of alipur jail with all the new revelations british government finds him the most dangerous man in india now contrast this with his image where he tells to a child every word is of sickness god knows who were those fortunate children at least in the ashram context i know when shubhendra came here there was this little girl who used to uh, come and sit in shubhendra's lap and play with him and her name was aurobindo bala i think she was uh, if i am not mistaken related to durai swami ayer's family but i may be mistaken with regard to that and her name was given as aurobindo bala she would go and sit in the chair with in his lap can you imagine many of these yogis champaklal ji people would sit in his lap some of these children and uh, they would even try to play with his beard but otherwise champaklal ji so leonine if you go with all this you know false things and all you'll see a different face something happens as we grow adult this what our education does to us it kills the soul and of course finishes the possibilities in the mind soul cannot be killed but tries its best um, i have i suspect that all these old schools um, Uh, concepts of you know education which we have imported suddenly from the western world are schemings of kansa to stifle krishna to make sure that krishna gives up all his possibility <laughs> if you go back to indian education system it was not like child is going to a classroom to study something mentally and then he comes back home it was gurukul it was a house where he lived which is what 
now today's uh, mother has tried to create that. How far we succeed is a different story. But she tried to create a Gurukul. And early days children were like that. And they were growing up any problem with the teachers, they could go and tell the mother. And mother would call and teachers would think that, you know, uh, when they would come and complain about a child, mother would say, you need to change yourself. There are so many stories. I have heard stories, you know, where real first-hand stories where uh, people would, oh, this girl doesn't listen, doesn't listen, doesn't listen, doesn't listen. So she's taken to mother. So mother says, you don't listen to them? Yes, mother. Why? I want to listen only to you in me. Okay, smiles. <laughs> I want to listen only to you in me. Why should I listen to these people? That kind of, you know, approach. I don't want to study. If a teacher comes and says, you know, the child doesn't study, you are not making it interesting. Problem is with you. The child is, you know, um, in the classroom, uh, all the time roaming around. Ah, because you don't have control over yourself, to the teacher. So the child doesn't have control over himself. Children were the most, uh, what can be called as lar dular, with <laughs> the kind of thing they enjoyed, uh, with mothers and Shubindu's physical presence. Even now, that atmosphere is there, despite everything. So he says, Every word deserves a kiss. Strange, remote and splendid, childhood's fancy pure, thrills to thoughts we cannot fathom, quick felicities obscure. When the eyes grow solemn, then what happens? What do we do to them when they grow up? When the eyes grow solemn, laughter fades away. What we lose in the bargain in adulthood, we lose the laughter. Uh, people often ask, what do you get in the ashram? What realization? What experiences? They <laughs> say one of the first things that we get straight away is to learn back to laugh. Because we have lost that faculty to smile, to laugh naturally. Because life makes your laughter artificial. Laughter is a rarity. Um, crude jokes sometimes people... but. To laugh, to love, they are regarded as something very bad in today's society. And Shubindo in Rishi, again written during the same period, 1909-1910, it was published later. He says, love men, love God, love all things. That's the final word that Rishi tells the Manu. Fear not from loving. It is through love that your road will open. So, but... Today's time, you see, laughter is regarded as something very bad. And uh, not today. Today now people have, you know, gone beyond that. But sometime back. And uh, love was again a sin. Of course, we understand that laughter can be crude and love can be uh, bezel. But still, uh, at least the raw material, if it is there, you can purify it and refine it. But if the raw material itself is not there. So he says, laughter fades away. Nature of a mighty childhood recollects the titan play. Woodlands touched by sunlight where the elves abode. Giant meetings, titan greetings, fancies of a youthful god. These are coming on thee in thy secret thought. Children, you know, we stifle it. God remembers in thy bosom all the wonders that he wrought. Such a beautiful thing about it. And this all just after coming out. Then there is, yeah, as I said, that, that theme of love which comes consistently in Shurabindo's poems, Savitri of course is the tale of conjugal love conquering death. Now here is the final word from Rishi. All these are around that period when he has come out. So this important what was going on, how he was looking at life at that point. How does this person who has you know in the Gita, Arjuna comes close to asking what does a sthit pragya behave like? That's the closest. And sthit pragya he explains. Sri Krishna says there is no outer sign. All the signs are inner. And he does it very quickly. 
Now, Sri Bindu is describing not only sthit pragya, but a question that Arjun never asked. How does a person who lives constantly in the divine, how does he behave, how does he feel, experience life? What has he got to tell us? What is his message? He tells us, Shrink not from life, O Aryan, but with mirth and joy receive his good and evil, sin and virtue, till he bids thee leave. But while thou livest, perfectly fulfill thy part. Conceive earth as thy stage, thyself the actor strong, the drama his. Work, but the fruits to God alone belong, who only is. Work, love and know, so shall thy spirit win immortal bliss. Love men, love God. Fear not to love, O King. Fear not to enjoy, for death's a passage, grief a fancied thing, fools to annoy. So we see that uh, whole thing and again there is a very beautiful poem. This sonnet is written much later, but it describes how Shirobindo, there are two, three poems, how during this period he was editing the Karmiogin and Dharma, we know that. But what was, what is the state of a person who is completely one with the Lord in yoga? Not one who is aspiring for yoga, but who is completely one with the Lord in his yoga, in the yoga. Very often we believe uh, mistakenly that only when a movement is successful or when your acts are successful means it was initiated by God. So when people start uh, failing or faltering, they think it is not mother's will. Quite the contrary. In fact, Mother says, if you start judging things by outer events, then you will land up in the trap of the hostile forces. Because God is not interested in success and failure as much as in our growth through everything. So there is a poem, beautiful poem. There are a number of poems which, paucity of time, we won't read. Jivan Mukt, we had a whole talk on that. What is, why does a Jivan Mukta act? So normally many people can't understand that what is the basis of action when desire is taken away? Mostly people act under desire and ambition. So Jivan Mukta acts only to bring God forces to waiting nature. That's all. His action is a God-driven action. So he describes it, the divine worker. It's the Gita in 14 lines, sonnet. I face earth's happenings with an equal soul. In all are heard thy steps, thy unseen feet tread destiny's pathways in my front. Life's whole tremendous theorem is thou complete. So we have to see the thing in totality. We see only a fragment, a portion, and therefore we miss the whole. And that is how Shurabindra at another place in in uh, Savitri, when Queen asked Narad, what is this life, why there is pain? He says, because you see a fragment, that's why you experience pain. If you see things in totality, you will understand. For example, there is a lady who mother would give very special attention, even when she was uncouth, when she would be, you know, very rough. And Champaglalji asked mother, why you give so much attention and uh, kindness and extra love to this lady who is so uncouth? Mother said something very interesting. She said, you know, she's already paid the debt in previous life. She has suffered a lot. Now, can we imagine? She has suffered a lot. She has paid the debt. So this life, she has to get all the... All the divine company. Now what she does of it is a different thing altogether. But already we don't see that part. And that lady when she went through, she may have cursed God, whatever, probably in this life she continued to do that. But she may have never imagined that in the next life she will be so special and brought so close to the divine mother. So we see only a small fraction. Some lives are only to pay the debt. Some lives are only for preparation. Some are for a quick summing up of all the past and they end up with realization. 
So you must know that it's a long journey and all is part of an inevitable chain. If we look at Shurabindu himself, see when you read some of these writings of the time, Chariot of Jagannath for instance, now it's about the perfect society. What is he really reinstating in terms of Indian thought is what he had already initiated during the French Revolution. Freedom, equality, brotherhood, these were the ideals, fraternity, these were the ideals for which French Revolution was fought and it failed. It came back again, it comes again and again and this can eventually be built only on the supramental basis. There is no other way that you can really build it. But see, he was there during that movement. It failed, it broke down actually. But it has done its task of sowing the seed and preparing the soil. So I face earth's happenings with an equal soul. Tremendous theorem is thou complete. What word he has used? Theorem. Theorem of life. Success plus failure plus efforts plus indifference. Everything is divine. Ultimately, the end point is divine. Oh, wonderful. (laughs) Everything is leading you towards that. As mother says in one of her prayers. No danger can perturb my spirit's calm. Can't do divine work with fear inside. My acts are thine. I do thy works and pass. What if we fail? Failure is cradled on thy deathless arm. You have kept it with you. One day, this is destined for fulfillment. Right now, it is like we have deposited. You know, that's why often all that we do, this, see, what is given to us is to act. Not, uh, you know, what realization I'll have, what experience I'm going to get. This is not given to us. That is the divine's prerogative. <laughs> what, how much marks will a person get? That is the teacher's prerogative. But what is given to us is act. What if we act all our life and nothing happens? Doesn't matter. It is deposited in the only bank which never crashes. DDBI. Ever heard? Divine Development Bank. I don't know what I stands for. <laughs> India, international, whatever. That is the only bank which never crashes. See, it's there. Deposited. Doesn't matter. Effort is deposited. Failure is cradled. So you may make effort. There is a story which the mother says where, uh, you know, there is an uh, archer who shoots arrows in the night to, you know, get some of these uh, panchi or animal kill. But he fails. So finally he is very tired and he is thirsty. So he, by the side of a tree, he just slumps down and sleeps. When daylight comes, he wakes up in the morning. He says, there are so many here actually hit but he didn't realize it so too with with us we pass away sometimes not reaping the fruits of our labor but the yogin realizes the labor was not yours (laughs) nor is the fruit so it's a constant journey where what you need you will get at a given point of time so failure is cradled on thy deathless arm Victory is thy passage mirrored in fortune's glass. We have to take both equally. You can't say that if I win the cricket match, I will celebrate with champagne. And if I lose it, I'll blank it out completely. I am not responsible. They were good. You can't say that. If you are going to enjoy your success and victory, then you have to take the other side also. So same here. But... If you say even in success and victory, it's not mine. It's not about saying, but your own. That's what is there in the Kenupanishad, the inner attitude. Then yes, failure is also equally belongs to the divine. In this root combat with the fate of man, where does the strength will come from? When Suridna Johar asked the mother, where to get that strength? She said, it's within you. And look how Shubhinda puts it. In this root combat with the fate of man, thy smile within my heart makes all my strength. All that I need is your smile. That's enough. 
That's what smiling Krishna on the chariot of Kurukshetra. Time to time when Arjuna felt, Oh my God, how am I going to fight? You know, Oh my God, Oh my God. He would probably, I'm imagining turning to Sri Krishna and he would see Sri Krishna smile. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> Thy smile within my heart. Thy force in me labors at its grandiose plan. Indifferent to the time snake's crawling length. So, Sri says, two things we must always keep together. One, we must want the realization here and now. At the same time, we should be prepared to wait to eternity, if such be the need or requirement. Both state simultaneously. No power can slay my soul. It lives in thee. Thy presence is my immortality. This is already granted. So all the rest is the work that goes on. So with that we come to the next question. That okay, but still why did he withdraw? Why did he enter into a room? He entered into the room much later. But he had already started, you know, reducing his communication with the outside world. And many people didn't understand it. Especially in 1926. We will come to that little later. When suddenly the doors were shut to Motilal Roy and even Barinda couldn't go straight to him. They had to go through the mother. They couldn't take it. The ego couldn't take it. Not realizing that in silence the help that can be given is many, many times more. It's just shoved in those words. And there is a reason for it. When you are in the physical presence, though physical presence is unparalleled, but still our we are looking outside. We see, you know, when people enter Shurabindu's room, when in the beginning they go, what do they see? They are just awestruck with wonder. Always there is the awe and wonder. But after two, three visits, they say, let me see the room. So they start looking. Oh, some people ask me, oh, statue, Kansa hai? Where, where, where did... I say, actually, till date, honestly, I have not seen... <laughs> What is there in the room? I just remember noticing the clocks once because, you know, they are mentioned. And of course, bed is there. Even sofa, even today, if you ask me which side is the sofa kept, which side is the chair kept, whether it is changed, the cover is changed, you just can't be in that state. But yes, it happens that sometimes we start seeing what are those, uh, you know, gifts which were given to them and they are kept in the cupboard neatly. We just know we cross a cupboard with all, all kinds of gifts. So, uh, what is that painting or something which is there on the wall? So, this is how we get distracted. But when we are quiet, when we are invoking ma, 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 then we are not distracted. Then she can help much better. Or if we are, as the mother would say, when you are watching a movie, I can work in you. Why? Because your whole being is outside. So when I enter your inner being, there is no resistance. Otherwise, when I say directly, see this direct saying has its place without a doubt. But the fundamental of yoga is the inner help. That is the most important thing. That is the... If one is... Capable of receiving inner help, then yes, outside has a meaning. There is a letter of Shirbindu where he says, If he cannot receive my help from the distance, he is less likely to receive it when he comes here. And the reason he gives is this. Because you have to learn to receive it. Then when you come, it's a one, something very wonderful. Because you are already tuned inwardly to the Lord. But if you come suddenly, then you have all the outer things and one may get lost. Not all, but there are people who do get lost because they are all, they get into, okay, ashram life means that's how we learn. You have the dining room three times, then you have collective meditation, then you have morning, you must visit to samadhi, you must go to department work. So the moment you get into this outer thing, which is wonderful, without a doubt, playground, but what you forget is that the real thing is the inner contact. Without it, there is nothing. So, but people who have not got habituated to forming the inner contact, they do get overwhelmed. It is something so wonderful. But this is the main thing, the inner contact. So, this meant to facilitate that and to express it. So, when Shurabindu withdrew, he was in that consciousness where he could reach out anywhere and help anyone. 
The point is he was not, he did not go away from action. He entered into a much vaster field of action in a much more powerful way than we can imagine. So we'll just read three poems which uh, speak about that. One of them is, uh, they are my favorite poems, you know, The Cosmic Man. There is one which is cosmic consciousness. So he is already a Vishwamanav. Not the Vishwamanak of the Manav of the poetic imagination. Oh, born army with everybody. That's that's not Vishwamanav. Vishwamanav is literally, it has a meaning. It's an experiential truth. And the mother says, before you enter the supermind, at the overmind level itself, you experience what is called as a world personality. But Shurabindu has gone beyond it with that experience of, you know, Vasudevam Sarvamiti. World personality, when he writes to Mrilani Devi that the whole, all these beings, all the um, the Indians, uh, those who live here, they are knocking at my doors. And I know I have the strength to uplift this fallen race. That's already the world personality. But here, this experience, what was he doing from his room? He could be in his room and yet conduct the whole revolution just like Sri Krishna could be on a chariot, unarmed, and yet win the war. So when we read these, we just feel how foolish when we, you know, start comparing Shurbindo and this and that, and thinker, Carl Jung, Hidegger, and all this, looks so, so, so childish. I look across the world and no horizon walls my gaze. It was equally true of the mother. When people would say, you know mother, Himalaya is like this. Mother said, yes, I have been to all these places. When mother, no, in my inner, I, there was a time when I would roam around, even planets. People asked her, is there life on the planets? She said, yes, there are some places in, in this universe where there is life. So at one time she used to go around. But then she said she didn't encourage this tendency because the work is here. So what do you? What does he see? I look across the world and no horizon walls my gaze. I see Tokyo and Paris and New York. <laughs> what does he see there? I see the bombs bursting on Barcelona and on Canton streets. Man's numberless misdeeds and small good deeds take place within my single self. Nobody the divine can blame. Why? Because all is he. All is taking place within me. This is his state. I am the beast he slays, the bird he feeds and saves. The thoughts of unknown minds exalt me. With their thrill, I carry the sorrow of millions in my lonely breast. Is it confined only to earth? Still vaster. I contain the wide world in my soul's embrace. Now his soul has grown so vast. People often, you know, say that but Shurabindu left the body at 78 years. Honestly, if you ask me, I feel it's, to me at least, is unimaginable how he lived like this. Beyond a point, your body cannot support the soul and the soul cannot continue in a body because the body is a vessel not meant for that till now. It is only meant to hold a certain degree of evolution. Beyond that point, it will burst. The brain cannot contain it. People go mad. The heart will go crazy. Leave aside the physical body. And he was not only containing this consciousness, but actually transforming it. I mean, Sri Krishna showed a Vishwarup in a supernormal state of consciousness. But look at this of Shurabindu. For him, it was a way of life. There are so many instances in Shurabindu's life which is so clear and even now the mother says, oh he is very interested, he has gone to see which Pope is being elected. 
And I suspect that there is a method in the madness. Today if you see, you may not uh, like Christianity as a religion, but the Pope is gradually changing, he is becoming a good fellow. I mean, it's something very interesting. That Why? Because there is an influence on a whole world of these people. Not because Pope Dumb is important. But these people have a hold upon large masses of humanity. And if they are touched, then it can transmit itself. There was a, um, a Christian cardinal, PLPL, that's his name, who used to come regularly. And he said, I believe in what you are saying, but I can't go and speak a word about it in the Vatican. So she says, but doesn't matter, you come. Because change of such people has an impact upon large sections of humanity. I contain the wide world in my soul's embrace. In me, Arcturus and Belfajor burn. Constellations of stars. They also come in mother's experience in Savitri. Arcturus and Belfajor burn. To what, but this is not just see the symbol. Arcturus is supposed to be a, a very happy constellation. Belfajor is a demonic constellation. So if you look at it even from the symbolic point of view, in me, Arcturus, the luminous gods, and Belfajor, the heat of hell and all these, they burn. To whatsoever living form I turn, I see my own body with another face. There is only one body. That's how. Because that experience of Vasudevam Sarvamiti now leads to that. There is a growing identity. All eyes that look on me are my soul eyes. The one heart that beats within all breasts is mine. The world's happiness flows through me like wine. Its million sorrows are my agonies. And it's so true, you know, there are mystics. Uh, I mean, even Pavitrada would take everybody's suffering onto himself. And Mother says that that's why he suffered so much. But the day he left the body, many people found their pain relieved, sufferings relieved because he was just taking upon himself. That's the way the divine beings are. They can't help it. Yet all its acts are only waves that pass upon my surface. Inly, forever still, unborn, I sit. Timeless, intangible. All things are shadows in my tranquil glass. My Vast transcendence holds the cosmic world. I am hidden it as in the sea, a pearl. And last one, these poems which are mainly that, as we said that outer life, he went away from Kolkata to Pondicherry, he left the freedom movement. This is a very, very superficial scene. But what was the state in which he left? Where, where did he go? Someone said very beautifully when this question was asked, I think it was uh, to Madhav Pandit or Kapali, Kapali Shastriji. This question was asked, where is Shurabindo? Why did he leave? Something like that. So, he, 1951, I think he also left his body very soon after that. And he says, but where has he gone? But where is he gone? He is, in, in fact, the mother goes on to say, how does it matter whether this body or any other body? It's one body. That is the state of consciousness in which, you know, they continue to live. I won't even say they lived because they continue to live. All bodies are their body. And if you take it that this lump of clay is also there and offer it, then they will act through anything. Any, any, any body can become their body. That joke which you were sharing that Ravana is also throwing pebbles in the sea. We have heard the story of Rama. Rama's name they are writing on the pebbles and they are floating. So, <laughs> this is a very interesting story. <laughs> I had not heard this part. So, Rama tries by his own hand and it sinks. So Anuman says, but whatever you leave is bound to sink. 
So this news reaches Lanka. Now everybody tells Ravana, you are in trouble. His name alone can make stones float. So Ravana says, what is the big deal? I can do it with my name also. So people don't believe it. So everybody comes. Everybody is watching what he is going to do. He writes the Ravana and the stone floats. Another Ravana, stone floats. So at night, Mandhudri asks him, something is amiss. You tell me the secret what you did. It can't be. I know you and I know Lord Rama. <laughs> Whatever you may say, something is amiss. He said, nothing. They would write my name. I would take in my hand. And inwardly I would say, Ram ki saugand hai. <laughs> Yadi tum duve to. In the name of Rama. <laughs> you better not drown. <laughs> so they would float out of fear of Rama. Now, you know, the story is like everybody he could use. All bodies are his body. He could use Ravana's body. He could use any body and he did use. Ravana was an instrument to bring the entire clan of Rakshasa. He did one deed and make sure that Rama had no point of, no adharma done. Because before that, when he was just destroying the Rakshasas in Dandakaranya, Sita tells him that, why are you doing like this, killing them all? He says, that's my work, mission. Mission impossible, original, point zero. So he says, but you know, you do you think about the ladies and you are not doing something which is right? So, you know, Rama says, yes, you are also right. I can't just kill Rakshasas because they are doing this, that, little, little things and just because they are way of life. That way of life has to be kept. So, but how to kill? He had this mission. Kill is not the word. Destroy, Uddhar, whatever way you want to put it. So, Ravana's buddhi is, now the divine acts through Ravana's buddhi. Go, go, go get Janki. Now imagine that fool. He knows he cannot Captured Janki, yet he goes with all this Pushpak Viman and dressing, camouflage, marich, all these fellows to get Janki. Basically, it was his own destiny and his own death which called him to do that most impossible act. But in the bargain, look at him. The man who believed he is invincible kept sending all the Rakshasas to die. So Rama had no issues, very nice. I have fully justified <laughs> full dharma to finish that way of life so that, you know, the Arya dharma. Because what happens is that many times it's not just about the people being killed. It's also there is a way of life that would survive and once again multiply. People don't realize that these days that there is a way of life which can threaten a whole humanity. So Shubhinda says it in essence on the Gita, you cannot slay evil without destroying much that lives upon evil. So, here is he, I have wrapped the wide world in my wider self. This is the Digambar. And time and space my spirits seeing are. It is not shedding clothes and walking naked. I am a Digambar. If you are really Digambar, it is going even beyond Digambar. Not world is wrapping me. I am wrapping the wide world. I am the god and demon, ghost and elf. What a unity. This is only possible at the, you know, glimpse of the supermind. It cannot be even overmind divides between, uh, you know, the gods and the demons. I am the wind speed and the blazing star. These are the hints one gets in that Sagar Mantan story. Narayana inspires both. And that's why they both listen to him. I am the wind speed and the blazing star. All nature is the nursling of my care. I am the struggle and the eternal rest. The wind's joy, thrilling, runs through me. I bear the sorrow of millions in my lonely breast. What he must have experienced. Famine and this and that and but he knew that the way is not this, that rushing into action and doing things. He says very clearly, he says, if you try it, it won't work out. You have to become yogins. 
if india really wants to establish itself as the world guru it's not just about giving lectures and you know holding all kinds of writing books there must be real yogins the spread of the idea is not sufficient he is inviting us all to that and i think this 150th year we should take this that it's not enough just to read and think about it or speak about should be there in the mother but to engage in yoga because that only that can save india in whatever way one does it it's not i am going to become yogi that's like going down the <laughs> the world's joy i have learned a close identity with all yet am by nothing bound that i become carrying in me the universe's call i mount to my imperishable home i pass beyond time and life on measureless wings yet still am one with born and unborn things and so the bird flew beyond the limits he didn't go to pondicherry he went beyond the limits of human possibilities and we'll stop with four lines from that poem the blue bird i am the bird of god in his blue divinely high and clear so when shurbindo left kolkata and chandanagar to pondicherry he was not going from one place to another he was going from one dimension of existence or rather three four dimensions of existence to multiple dimensions whose doors started opening in chandanagar to that which is beyond all dimensions that's what is meant by his coming to pondicherry it's not one place to another it's a complete change i am the bird of god in his blue divinely high and clear i sing the notes of the sweet and the true for the gods and the seraphs here when he is singing when he is going to ride the gods will come oh this it has never been expressed so far they must be waiting after the geeta for the next installment sir please when will you speak again when will you speak again and the lord would say you want another mahabharata <laughs> the time was ripe because the mahabharata was round the corner so i am the bird of god i rise like a fire from the mortal earth into a griefless sky so he had gone right into the very ditch of death if you look at that alipur jail where he could have just died you know it was brushing close brush with death how they left the most dangerous man in india when they put everybody to the gallows or andaman this is what you know he has gone right there and like the phoenix he rises so he's describing that and drop in the suffering soil of his birth fire seeds of ecstasy this is what he's going to do now from that spoils my pinions soar beyond time and space into unfading light i bring the bliss of the eternal's face and the boon of the spirit's sight i measure the world with my ruby eyes i have burst on wisdom's tree thronged with the blossoms of paradise by the streams of eternity now is going to bring that nectar and give it to man it's a different thing that man when god gives nectar to him charnamrita as we say no washed in thy soul was a tide washing the coast of heaven then man questions is it filtered water can i take it will i it make my mind and stomach upset has it been certified by the isi not isi sorry isi na indian standard has it been certified has the scientists approved of what you are going to say so lord says okay fine you be with the mohini amrit is for somebody else you are still in a state of moha so that's the story of the moha 
where Vishmoini, signs, this, that, you know, they're waiting for it. Then he says, okay, fine. There are others who are waiting in the queue are saying, Lord, one drop is enough. So that's how it is. And finally, nothing is hid from my burning heart. My mind is shoreless and still. Look at it, not just still, shoreless. It's entered into infinity. My song is rapturous, mystic art. What is there in what all that Shurabindo has said and written? In one word, delight. That's why if while reading him, we experience joy, then we have understood. If we are becoming serious, what has he really written? I don't understand. It's too tough, too difficult. Then we have really not read so, the sign that we have really read Shurabindo or understood something of it, understanding is impossible, but something has gone inside is that we experience joy. Because joy is the essence, soul has taken it in and rejoices. You ask that, why are you so happy reading Mother and Shurabindo? What is so special? Nimberg has said this and so and so has said this. What was his name? Abhinav Gupta has said this. What is so special about Shirobindo? So we should say, see, you keep admiring the pots. Let me have the honey. <laughs> you be with the pots. Count the pots. Label them here, there, from a distance. But you know what? Unless you walk up to the pot or <laughs> receive the honey, you won't know. There are attractive pots which carry poison within it. And there are ordinary mud Goblets, but which carry the bachic rapture, the rapture of the divine within it. So this is how we have to understand his writings. My song is raptures, mystic art. My flight, immortal will. Namaste.